0: living Living Streams Community Church in McCordsville, Indiana We want to thank you for your interest in God's Word And this message, we pray that God puts it into your heart of water, wash away So tonight, tonight is, is the big game, right? And and I suppose that uh, most of you, even whether you care uh, or not, are going to be Rams fans. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the way it goes. Um, I, 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 out of curiosity, looked up the largest Super Bowl comeback in the history of the Super Bowl. And it was just a couple years ago by the New England Patriots. So, not wanting to quench the spirit, um, I looked up the, uh, the largest comeback in NFL history. And that happened on January 3rd, 1993. Houston Oilers versus the Buffalo Bills. And the, the Buffalo Bills, they, um, they overcame a 32-point deficit. It was early in the second half. It was 35-3. It was to three. And uh, the Bills were playing their second-string quarterback. Anybody know who that was? Man, you guys are unbelievable. I mean, I'm getting educated looking this stuff up. Yeah, you know how many touchdown passes he threw to to, to lead that comeback? Four. Yeah. And they won it up by a field goal in, in overtime. So we love our, I know we love our comeback stories, unless they're coming back against Purdue. We love our comeback stories. <laughs> And, and uh, you know, especially when the good guys are making the comeback. Well, here in Luke chapter 20, we are going to immerse ourselves in a conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. This, this whole chapter is filled with questions. And, uh, in fact, it's called the Day of Questions. Um, so that's what, that's what we're jumping into here. And, and what we're going to do is we're going we're gonna to use these questions today to point us to making a comeback in our life. And, and then this kind of comeback is, is uh, the kind of comeback that really matters. Uh, history making comeback. So let me, I'm just going to read all these 18 verses as, as we dive in this morning. So one day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel... The chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, Tell us by what authority you do these things, or who it is that gave you this authority. He answered them, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. So they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to tell the people this parable. A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. When the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that the, they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent another servant, but they also beat. And treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent yet a third. This one also they wounded and cast out. The owner of the vineyard said, what shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance may be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? He will come and destroy those tenants. And give the vineyard to others. When they heard this, they said, surely not. But he looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Let's pray. Oh heavenly Father, we um, we're glad to be in the house of the Lord today. We're uh, glad to be able to um, come into Your presence as a as a body of believers and lay our concerns and hearts before You uh, this morning. We live in a complicated world with with problems bigger than we are, and and we know that You are the answers for all of those things. And so, what a uh, what a joy it is to come into your presence! What a privilege and, and honor it is uh, to lift you up in worship and, and as we begin to look at um, this chapter in Luke, Lord, as we look at the at the wrestling match that goes on, uh, we pray that you would, by the power of your holy Spirit, enlighten us as we look for ways that we see ourselves in these words and how we can respond. Uh, to you in ways that will make differences in our lives, that will bring you glory, and it will be for our good. So we pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. So I do, I do love comeback stories, most of them, like I say, unless they're coming back against Purdue. Not, not such a big fan of that, but I do love them, especially the kind that have to do with life comebacks, and especially the kind that Jesus is involved in. So I got a, a video to show you a story, and this is a this is a history making comeback. So let's watch this. That's a great story. That's a history making comeback. That's what we're talking about. It can happen today. Jesus has entered Jerusalem. He's done that and he's begun his final week of his mission. He's processed into the city like a king. He's cleaned up the temple like he owns a place. And now he's teaching there uh, on his own authority and making everybody, uh, well, making all the leaders mad. We saw last week that, you know, just because these leaders are out to get him, out to try to catch him in something that he says, um, he doesn't shy away from them. He just keeps going back to their house, back to their turf. I was thinking, you know, it's kind of ironic, Jesus goes to the temple, the place on earth where God meets with man, and it's an away game for him. You know, I mean, it should be his home turf, but, but it's like, you know, it's, it's this hotbed of, of, uh, of conflict. And so there he is teaching with his divine authority every, every day. So the first question that comes up in Luke 20 is a question about authority. And so what we want to do with with this question is we, we want to learn that if if uh, we're going to make a comeback in our life with Jesus, we got to start by pancaking our rejection. Now, you know what that means, right? To pancake your rejection. Uh, one of my favorite football players on the Colts this year was the rookie linebacker Quentin Nelson. And that's him there, uh, right there, kind of. Doing a pancaking, he's pancaking the players. So basically, I mean, he's, he's really known as a pancake artist. This is something that every play he's putting some guy in the dirt on on, on his back, and then he ends up on top of him and, and renders him helpless. You know, so um, so that's what we want to do to our rejection. We want to <laughs> pancake our rejection so now you know what that means uh, so now Jesus he's teaching in the temple there and he's preaching the, he says he's preaching the good news to the people that the kingdom of God was available through him and so that's the same message that he began his ministry with if you go back to Luke chapter 4 and you, and you see where he began his ministry he quoted Isaiah you know, from the prophet Isaiah he said the spirit of the Lord is, is on me because he's anointed me to pro- proclaim good news to the poor He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then after he quoted that, he sat down and he said, Today, in your hearing, this scripture has been fulfilled. Well, that led to a lively discussion. And then that led to a huge uproar in the people wanting to throw him off a cliff. He was rejected in his hometown of Nazareth. And here he is getting rejected in the capital city of Israel in Jerusalem. So his his authority, it's on full display. And for anybody that wanted to come under it, I mean, he's rode into the city like a king. He's cleaned up the temple like he owns it. He's in there teaching and preaching every day without the approval of the leadership. And he's doing it on his own word. And nobody did that. Nobody taught like that back in their day. They, people, preachers and teachers would always come and they would say, hey, Rabbi so-and-so said this. And then they'd, they'd speak on Rabbi so-and-so's authority. But Jesus never did that. He never referred to anybody. He taught on his own authority. He would, he would say things like, you have heard it said, but I tell you this. And so he's teaching on his own authority. And nobody did that. So it says, the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of Israel, they all came and they gave him this public challenge. Now this is a a formidable group of people. Okay, the the chief priests. Uh, The chief priests claimed their authority in Israel from their birthright. They were members of the tribe of Levi. And so the law of Moses put them in the roles that they were in. And so from their birthright, they, they claimed these positions of authority. And then you got the scribes. The scribes were students. They were ones that studied the scriptures and they studied all the interpretations of the scriptures from the past. And so there you got your master's degrees and your PhDs in the law of God. So they claimed their authority from their education. And then you got the elders of Israel. So these were the the heads of the clans of the families of Israel. And so these were the prominent people. They had status. They had wealth. They they were all the, the important folks. And so this is the group of people that is coming against Jesus here. Jesus, this homeless itinerant rabbi who's been traveling around Galilee doing miraculous things in the name of God and having this small group of followers come that grows, drawing people away from the religious establishment. And so the leaders at this point have already rejected Jesus. They've already said, your ministry, your teachings, they, they are not of God. And so they're looking for a way to, to catch him in something that he says. They're, they're wanting him to say something that they can use to accuse him of blasphemy, and they can then put him to death. That's, that's what their motive is. And so here comes the questions. By what authority do you do these things? Who gave this authority to you? So, so in other words, what they're saying is, who are you, Jesus, to ride into our city like that? Who are you to come into our temple and disrupt the marketplace? Who are you, Jesus, to come in here without our approval and teach like you're teaching? Who are you? I mean, if they could get Jesus to say, "Well, I'm I'm just a you know a nobody," uh, then then Jesus would be in trouble with the Jews because he he was showing himself as king, as Messiah. And so he'd be in, in trouble there. But if, if he would say he was, uh, he, his authority came from God, then he could be in trouble with the Romans because the Romans were always looking, especially during Passover, for so-called messiahs who would come in and disrupt the peace and mess with the power structure that was in place. And so these leaders thought that they had Jesus right where they wanted him. But Jesus pancakes his questioners with a question. And so instead of going on the defensive... He goes on offense and he says, I will ask you a question also. Who gave John the Baptist his authority? Was it from God or was it from man? See, Jesus knew that the Pharisees, these leaders, they did not believe that John was a prophet sent by God. In Luke chapter 7, verse 30, it says, But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptized by John. So the leaders didn't didn't put any faith in what John was saying. They didn't repent. They didn't get baptized. And so Jesus knows that. And he puts them in this difficult situation here. See, if they answer the question, they would be answering their own question. If they answered Jesus' question, they would answer their own question that they ask him. John was seen by the people as a prophet sent by God. And John had openly spoken and identified Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So the people all know this. So if these leaders, if they said that he was acting on his own, then the people would revolt. They said they'll they'll stone us to death if we say that. And if we say that he came from God, then they're going to ask me, well, why didn't you believe him, that this is the Messiah? And so they're in a a tough spot. So what do they do? They don't do anything. They say nothing. They say, we don't know. They're speechless. Pancaked. Beautiful. It's beautiful. Beautiful. If you want to start a comeback in your life, it starts right here. It happens by recognizing where we reject Jesus as the authority over our life. And then we pancake that by accepting Him as our King. Now, I I was thinking, I'm not sure that we... That we really think about this too much, you know, Monday to Saturday, you know, the Jesus authority over my life. But, you know, basically it's the question, is there any place in my life where where I am still in charge? I mean, that's, that's the question we're talking about. So is our life under the authority of Jesus? Is your car under the authority of Jesus? Is your weekend... Under the authority of Jesus? Is your budget under the authority of Jesus? Are your kids? Is your career? Are your vacation plans? Your marriage? Your ambitions? Who you date? Does Jesus have authority? Over all these areas of our life. Now, you know what it's like to be under authority, right? If you have a job where you work for somebody, you don't own the company, you work for somebody else, then then you have a boss. And as an employee, you know what it's like to be under authority or then you don't have a job. If you're a student and uh, you go to school and you sit under teachers who tell you what to do, instructing you about algebra and chemistry and, you know, all those good things, and you do what they say, you're under authority. You're under their authority. If you're an athlete and you're training and you've got a coach, you know what it's like to be under authority. If you're a patient and you have a doctor who's telling you what to do to get better, And you do it, you know what it's like. If you're a kid and your parents are doing their job, you know what it's like to be under authority. You can see, obedience is a result of being under authority. Now, obedience doesn't always mean that you're under authority because, you know, you know that story about the kid who won't sit down and then he finally sits down and says, No, in my heart, I'm standing up. So, so yes, obedience can point to, I, I've, I've come under Jesus' authority in my, in my life, but it doesn't always. And so, really, we have to go from the outside, we have to go inside, and we have to look in our heart. And that's where this starts. Inside of us, looking for places that we're still in charge. So we're thinking about that. Another way to think about this, uh, his authority over it is, is, is that question Who are you, Jesus? You know, in our life, who are you, Jesus, to tell me who to love or how to love or how to give or how to forgive? Who are you, Jesus, to tell me how to work, how to drive? How to worship. How to speak. How to spend. Who are you, Jesus? See, that's the argument the Pharisees or the leaders are in. They're arguing with Jesus about his authority. Is there any place you're arguing with him in your life? About your life. If you can find it, that's where you need to pancake your rejection. Listen, listen, if you want a different life, if you want a better marriage, if you want a better career, you want a different family, if you want purpose in your life, if you want better grades, you want better fruit, you want better whatever, pancake your rejection of Christ in your heart. Come under His leadership. Accept Him, His authority in your life. Now, don't hear me say there that I'm promising you an easier life It's not easier. In fact, I think it's harder. But it is better. It is better to follow the one who said he came to give life and that life abundantly. That's what we're after. Now this discovering, I mean, I, I really thought, you know, going through all of that, you know, it's, it's plain, it's it's like, but it's so hard. It's so hard to look and see where am I rejecting to it. Me even asking that 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 question is hard to do. Why? Because it happens in our heart, and the Bible says the heart is deceitfully wicked above all else. Who can understand it? So, um, there is always a way, a clear way, to find rejection of Jesus' authority, and that is to look for disobedience in your life. That's rebellion against God. And we want to crush our rebellion, keeping in the football verbs, you know, theme. Jesus goes on to say, since you are not answering my question, I'm not going to answer yours either. But I will tell a story. And he begins to teach the people. He says, you got this guy who owns a vineyard. And he goes away to another country for a long time and, and he, sends, oh, he and he lets out the, the vineyard to tenants. And then after a while he sends a servant to go and get some of the fruit from these tenants. This was, this was actually a common practice back in Israel. This has been, been a kind of a common story up to this point. And the, and the fruit of the vineyard was the rent that they paid back to the owner. So these servants, they go, and the tenants see them, except instead of giving him some of the fruit, they kick him out of the vineyard. <laughs> they send him away empty handed. And so the owner, again, he sends another servant, and he gets treated the same way. In fact, he gets treated worse. And then he sends another servant, and he gets treated worse than the, those other two. It gets worse and worse and worse as you go through the story. And so the owner's like, what do I do? I'll send my son. Maybe they'll listen to him. Maybe they'll respect him. But when the tenants see the son coming, they think to themselves, hey, that's the guy that's going to get this vineyard when the owner dies. If we kill him, then we can be in line for the inheritance. And so they do that. When the son comes, they kill him. The story ends with the owner coming back and destroying the tenants, giving the giving the, uh, the vineyard to others. Now, the leaders standing there listening to this story, they are not they are not uh, missing what Jesus is saying there. God is the owner and the vineyard is Israel. And the, the tenants are those leaders over Israel who were in charge of sowing and cultivating and reaping a spiritual harvest from the people. And when they weren't doing their job, God would send messengers to them to, to try and correct them. We know those messengers as as prophets. And the messages that they sent were recorded in the Old Testament for us to learn from and for us to grow by. Now, the history of Israel wasn't very good at listening to the prophets, to these attempts at God to get their attention, to get them to come back around. And they paid a price uh, for that. When Jesus told this story, the son had been sent but not yet killed. And when they hear what the end of the story, how the end of the story goes, it's so heinous that they say, surely not. And they're not responding to the story. They're responding to the meaning of the story. These leaders are saying, surely not. We know we've not done a good job listening to these servants, but surely when the Messiah comes, we'll recognize him and we will believe and follow him. Surely it won't go that way. But, you know, the Messiah was right there in front of their eyes, right there in 3D. I mean, you know, if, if the, anything will tell you this, if you're awaiting to trust God because you're wanting some visible evidence that He is there and that He loves you, let this tell you that even if you get that evidence, you will not believe. Because, because seeing isn't believing. Believing is how you see. I know, it's crazy, but that's how it works. So we might find ourselves doing something similar in our life as these leaders are doing when we think about this idea of rebelling against God. I mean, we don't think of it that way. I mean, is any one of us going to confess this morning, I am rebelling against God. And if we won't confess it, we can't crush it. So we, we hear the word rebellion. It's such a bad word. You know I mean? It's, it's such a harsh word. We, I mean, we, we, we deal with rebellion in our life like a teenager does. A wayward teenager, you know. They're like going out doing their own thing. They're, they're out there. and They're like, what's the big deal? <laughs> I'm not hurting myself. I'm not hurting anybody. You know what? This isn't a big deal. I'm old enough to do my own thing. And the parents are home on their knees. This is the worst thing that could ever happen to them in the world. That their child has grown up. And is saying things and doing things that's dangerous and disrespectful. You know, God doesn't see our disobedience to Him as harmless. When we continue to say that we are Christians, and we go out and we live independently of Him in our lives, in any area of our life, we're rebelling against Him. In fact, it's like we're killing the sun all over again. In Hebrews chapter 6, verses 4 to 6, it says, For it is, it is impossible to bring back to repentance those who were once enlightened, those who have experienced the good things of heaven and shared in the Holy Spirit, who have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and the power of the age to come, and who then turn away from God. It is impossible to bring such people back to repentance by rejecting the Son of God. They have themselves are nailing Him to the cross once again and holding Him up to public shame. Surely not. Surely that's not me. I mean, surely God is love and God's grace will forgive all my sins, whatever I do. God is love. And His grace will cover all of your sins received through faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, you, you can see evidence of His grace in the story that Jesus tells. How many times did He send a servant to the people of Israel? Again and again, He keeps pursuing. He keeps reaching. He says, Hey, come back to me. Hey, follow me. How many servants has God sent you in your life to get your attention? How many times has you come and listened to a a message from the Bible, from God's Word, and then you went out and did just the opposite? Did your own thing. That is rebellion. It's rebellion. In the American frontier days, there was a settlement out west and the citizens of this town, they were in the, the lumberjacking business and they decided that they needed a church. And so they they built a church and they called a pastor and and he came and when he comes to town, you know, everybody receives him warmly and he's getting to know people. He's out mingling around in the town. And, and one day while he's out doing that, he sees some of, the, some of the members of this church taking logs out of a river that had been floated down from another village. Uh, to, to, uh, to, to the, and, and on the end of the log, it had a stamp that, that showed who owned the log. And so this pastor, he sees him taking these logs out of the river, and then to his great distress, he sees him cutting the end of the log off that has the telltale sign of who owned it. And so he goes home, prepares his sermon for the next Sunday, and he preaches on the commandment, thou shalt not steal. And after the service, he's greeting people, and they're coming out, and they're giving, high five, pastor, man, that was an awesome message. You know, keep up the good work. You're doing a great job. We're so glad you're here. And the guy's, it's really not the the reaction that I was expecting. And so he went home and he began to prepare his sermon for the next Sunday. And he preached on the same exact text. Thou shalt not steal. But he added on to the end of it. And thou shalt not cut off the end of thy neighbor's log. And they, after the service... Ran him out of town. Instead of finding a new pastor. Instead of finding a new church. Instead of finding a new marriage. Or a new job. Or a new guru that's going to tell you some things about how to live a better life on this planet. Take a look at your life. And connect some dots between your disobedience and rebelling against God. Is there any place in your life where you're sawing the end of your neighbor's log off? Can you see it? Any, any place. That's what you want to crush. You want to crush that in your life. How do you do that? Well, you can start by following 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion um, raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Start there and be a really amazing start. Don't go light on sin in your life. Don't cheapen the grace of Jesus Christ by saying, "You know what? I, you know, it's okay. I'm a sinner. I'm going to sin. I'm covered." It cheapens the grace. Don't think that you're not hurting anybody by going out and doing your own thing. Even if nobody sees it. God is seeing it. God understands. You are hurting Him. You are not rejecting a law. You are rejecting a person. And the pain is real. Hebrews chapter 10 verses 26 to 31. Dear friends, if we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. There is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant which made us holy as if it were common and unholy. And have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. He also said, the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God after you died without Jesus. It is a wonderful thing to fall into the hands of the living God while you're alive. In the name of Jesus. Now, I know when we hear those verses, it kind of brings up that big question is how secure is my salvation? And I don't really want to bring them up for that reason. I just want you to hear the warning in those verses. Just like the end of Jesus' story, the owner came back, destroyed the tenants, gave the vineyard to other people. There's a day coming when God's wrath is going to be revealed. And it's going to come against all disobedience. And the question you've got to know today, you've got to answer this question, am I under this wrath? Am I under it? Where am I at? Where am I rebelling? Where am I rejecting his authority? Police cited a woman one day for speeding. And they were hoping that this citation would slow her down and start obeying speed limits. Deputies from the Lincoln County Sheriff's Department pulled over Emily Wilson in her 2018 yellow Ford Mustang. And they clocked her doing a 92 and a 75. But their hopes were in vain. After they finished giving her the citation, their report said she went away accelerating very quickly and a a chase ensued. And they clocked her at 142 miles an hour. And they finally caught up to her, finally, finally stopped her, pulled her over, arrested her and charged her with willful reckless driving. So her penalty went from a citation... To incarceration. Why? Because she knew the law and disobeyed it anyway. She rejected the authority of the police. You want to come back to start in your life today? Listen to these words of rejection and rebellion. Rebellion. Listen to those harsh words and confess them in your life. It is the only way you will pancake them and crush them. It is the only way you come to come to the first Sunday in February, looking for this nice comfortable time i 'm not here to give you that. not here to give you that because that 's not going to help you. This is a choice today it 's a choice that God has given his people since way back in the day. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 to 20 says, Today I have given you the choice between life and death, between blessings and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make this choice by loving the Lord your God, obeying Him, and committing yourself firmly to Him. This is the key to your life. Now, they said yes to that. But then they showed us, showed themselves and they showed us that, that they could not keep their commitment. They couldn't keep up their end of the bargain telling the whole world, telling mankind that no one can keep up their end of the bargain. And so then the son was sent to keep the commitment for them. So this Old Testament commitment, it's still good. But we don't make it anymore in our own strength. We make it in the strength of Jesus. See, it's by His power of of His life and death and resurrection working in us that we're able to come under God and have a relationship with Him. And so it is in that that we make this same commitment to love God, obey Him, and give ourselves fully to Him. Who doesn't want to make that commitment today? So we choose the comeback. In Christ, our rebellion gets crushed. Our rejection gets pancaked. In Christ, victory is guaranteed. It's guaranteed. But we have to choose Him. If we don't, we don't choose Christ, the only thing we can expect in our life is ruin. In this life, and ruin in the next life forever, with no hope of a comeback. If we do choose Christ... That's how we will defeat our ruin and a comeback begins and is accomplished. So why would anybody reject Jesus? if He gives us that. Because for some reason, they've discarded Him. They've set Him aside thinking He's really not who He says He is or He is not for me. Jesus looked directly at these leaders who protested saying, Surely not. And he said, What does this scripture mean then? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. So, when you're building your life on anything but Jesus, eventually, as the building goes up, it's going to show it's out of whack and it's going to fall down, it'll be broken to pieces. If you get to the end of your life on this planet without having the cornerstone of Christ set in place and things built on Him, trusting Him to make things square and true, then it's ruin forever with no hope of comeback. Now the story uh, behind these verses that the stone the rejected is rejected, that, that verse is in Psalm 118 and that's a messianic psalm. That's the same psalm that the people were shouting when Jesus rode into the city. You know, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So, so he's pointing back to that messianic psalm. And he's he's saying, you know, remember this story. There was a story behind this verse. When they were building Solomon's temple, they were cutting stones in a quarry. So they had stone cutters shaping and cutting. And then they would take those stones and they would ship them to the work site of the temple. And then the builders there would select the stones they wanted to use to, to make the building. So when they did that, they saw this one particular stone and they said, ah, that one's too big or whatever. It's not the right shape. And so they set it aside and they started to put other stones in place and they started to build. But the higher they got, they started to see, wait a minute, this is out of whack. Something's wrong here. And then they discovered to their surprise that the stone that they had rejected was the exact stone they needed to place at the bottom of their building to make things true and square. And so they had to tear it all down. Put that stone in place and start again. You don't see it at the beginning. You see it after you've built a while. The air becomes more exaggerated. Things aren't lining up. I don't know if you saw it. In our country, recently, when they lit up the Empire State Building to celebrate the abortion... Of, late, of babies that are basically ready to be born. And they cheered it. I mean, this, we are out of whack. Out of whack. What's the answer? Well, I believe we can find the answer in Jesus' words. Anyone who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. That can point us to how we can defeat ruin in our life. See, once you see that He is the one, He is the cornerstone to build your life on, you have to fall on Him in faith and trust. You have to fall on Him. And when you do that, the life that you've built is going to come tumbling down. comes down with confession Repentance, saying, I'm a, I'm a sinner. I sin. I cannot do anything about it, Lord. And you put yourself at his mercy and you find out he loves you. That's how you start over. That's how you begin a comeback. Tear it down. Fall on the stone. Put him in place. Start building again. In 1988, George H.W. Bush was elected president of the United States. In 1987, when the campaign was going on, the front-runner for the Democratic Party, his name was Gary Hart. Remember Gary? Well, he, he uh, things started falling apart for him as there was rumors sh- spreading around about extramarital affairs, and so Gary challenged reporters famously, hey, you follow me around, see what I'm doing wrong. And so they did. Two reporters from the Miami Herald spotted a young woman leaving Hart's Washington, D.C. townhouse on May 2nd. That was 29-year-old... Uh, Donna Rice. A few days later, the media revealed Hart had spent the night on a yacht with Rice called the monkey business. Pictures of her sitting on his lap made front page news all over the nation. His presidential campaign imploded back when we cared about stuff like that. But what happened to Donna Rice? In 2013, she explained how She had wandered away from her faith in Christ and how she had returned to him. This is what she said. Toward the end of my college career, I started making these little left-hand turns. Before long, I was dating some non-Christian guys and thought, eh, what's the big deal? It's hard to believe how you can go from here to there. You don't get there overnight. You go there by making little wrong choices along the way. I saw heart only twice, but God was trying to get my attention prior to that. And it took an international sex scandal because of my stubbornness. God will track you down. He will let things happen, the natural consequences of our choices. So she began her journey back to the Lord, living under the media's radar for seven years, taking care of a disabled woman. She got married, and she eventually became the the president and CEO of Enough is Enough, which is an organization that is fighting to make the Internet a safe place for children and families. And so now the media seeks out Donna Rice-Hughes, not for her sexual scandals, but for her expertise in promoting safety and sexual wholeness. And Donna says, Oddly, I was Miss Scandal Queen back in 1987, and today I'm the voice for decency and morality. That is a God thing. And that's what we're talking about. That's the kind of comeback that we're talking about. We're going to close the service this morning, celebrating the Lord's Supper today. And if you're sitting here and you're thinking, I need a comeback in my life. You can do that today, right up here at the altar. If Jesus has been set aside in your life, you see him there. But He is not set in place as the cornerstone. And you're building your life upon Him. Let me encourage you to do that today. Put Him, set Him in as the cornerstone of your life. That means some things are going to come tumbling down. But things will get true. And things will get different. You do this by believing in Him. Believing in who He is, the Son of the living God. Believing that what He did, coming to earth, living the perfect life, dying on the cross rising from the grave, all of that happened because God loves you and wants to have life with you. And so when you do it, when you believe in Jesus like that, you put your life in His hands, you fall on the stone. When you do that for the first time, your sins are forgiven. They're washed away by the blood of Jesus. Amazing. It's amazing grace. And the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of you. And you are born again into a new person, into a new life of following a new leader. You are no longer in charge. The pressure's off. You just follow him. And he leads the way. You can do it this morning. If you need to do that, don't wait another day. Come on up here and do it. And then maybe you're here and you're thinking, you know, I, I know I'm a believer. But as I look at my building, it's kind of out of whack. And I, I want to encourage you today, you know, to, to just kind of take a look and and See if there's been a bunch of little wrong turns along the way. And then come up here and make a big right turn back to Jesus. Again, things may come tumbling down. But you'll be new. You'll start over. You'll be forgiven. The thing's gonna start going back up true and right and good. So the elements are over here on the on the sides. I want to invite you to come to the altar. Grab the elements, take some time up here, talk to God, listen to Him, celebrate what Jesus has done for you. We're doing this until He comes again. You know, when we do this together, we're proclaiming He's coming back. He told us to do this till He comes again. We're doing it. This is a place of life up here. This is a family that loves you. So I invite you to come. Let's pray together. For this is what the Lord himself has said about his table. And I've passed it on to you before. That on the night when Judas betrayed him, the Lord Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks to God for it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, Take this and eat it. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this to remember me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new agreement between God and you. It has been established and set in motion by my blood. Do this in remembrance of me whenever you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are retelling the message of the Lord's death, that he has died for you. Do this until he comes again. Heavenly Father, we want to just stop and think about your son. Remember what he's done for us. The wrestling that he did in our life. The, the, the messages that were sent. The place where we saw him as the cornerstone and put him in, in our life and began to build. The Lord, <clears throat> we don't live in a black and white world, there's lots of gray. And I know there's probably people, you know, in between the black and the white. But how much gray do you want us to have? Take us a step toward the white this morning. Help us to believe. Help us to follow. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Just staying with me. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Oh Lord, we thank you. Thank you for your son. The life that he lived, the death that he died, and the power he showed over the grave. He is our hope. Our hope for days like today, when we look into your word and we see the calling that we have to live up to. He is our hope. We say with all the strength and and love we can muster that we want to love you and we want to obey you and we commit our lives fully to you. And we say yes and amen to that, but we know, Lord, even today we're going to fall short of that. And so we walk out reminded that no one here can go work hard today to be better. It's only by your power, the gospel working in us. That things work. and So help us to go out in the strength and power of your Holy Spirit. Who bears fruit in our lives. Brings glory to you. And grows the kingdom in us and through us. Send us out in his power today, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.